Welcome to the Global Band Group, a podcast that brings you stories, news, and great guests from across the world of wind, brass, marching band, and drum corps. My name is Keith Kelly, and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with band musicians and directors from across the world to talk about their stories, their bands, and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at bandsofireland.com forward slash the global band room. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the global band room. And now on with the show. Welcome back to the band room. We have a great show lined up for you this week. Shortly, I'll be joined by Mike Scott, who is the CEO of the Blue Coats Drum and Bugle Corps. I'm going to be talking to him about his journey to leading one of the finest drum corps in the world um, and also talking to them about their 2020 season well, or lack of a season, but all of the amazing work that they've been doing in 2020 to make up for that. And then talking to them about their new project, uh, the Blue Coat School of the Arts, which is a direct um, follow-on from some of the work that they've done this year, but something that might have a benefit for students all over the world for many years to come. But first, some news. The Association of Concert Bands has introduced ACB Connects. Now, this is a series of virtual webinars designed to connect with members, share current resources, and introduce ways to adjust to necessary present-day restrictions. Now, for anyone that's not aware of the Association of Concert Bands, uh, they are an organization that represents over 600 community concert bands in the United States. Uh, but they also have some international members. The Irish Symphonic Wind Orchestra is one for sure, and there's many other around the world, others around the world too. Um, it's a it's a set of resources. These webinars that might be very useful to any community concert bands across the world. All of the information is relevant, really, no matter where you are in the world. They've had three of these webinars so far. The first one was based on. Um, COVID-19, an impact on band rehearsals and performances, and it featured Susan Sands, who is the uh, the president of the ACB. The second of these, uh, these webinars was Bioaerosol Emissions and Exposures in the Performing Arts. This was really, really useful information right now. It is very relevant to the moment so it is worth watching right now Uh, i know they do intend to take that down at the end of october before they have their next update on this so um, head over to youtube and you can find that there and then the third one was uh fantastic and a regular guest of the podcast gail brechting Uh, she hosted this next one which was discussing adaptable music with members of the creative repertoire initiative Uh, if you haven't heard about this creative repertoire initiative it is is amazing they're taking some of the best works in the genre and they're making these adaptable pieces of music out of them i think it's going to be hugely uh, influential for years to come bands here in ireland for certain but i know bands across the world don't necessarily have the instrumentation that some of these top high school and top, top college bands would have in the, in the u.s so this creative repertoire is going to be there for us for many years to come and i'm very excited about it and that is a webinar very well worth watching 
So you can find all of these webinars on the ACB's YouTube channel, uh, and you can also find them being posted in the Global Band Room uh, group on Facebook, where the ACB have been posting them too. So a huge thank you to um, everyone that's been making that happen, to Sarah McElfrish, who runs all of the social media for ACB and has been uh, working alongside me to make sure that we had posted that for the Global Band Room band members and that we um and a big thank you to gail bracting susan sands the the whole acb team for all of their work on these webinars now i mentioned on the last podcast the global initiative for talented students and i'm going to mention it again today because i know we have mike scott on today and there'll be a lot of people interested in the marching arts that might like to take part in something like this 2020 has been an incredibly tough year. Many bands across the world have prepared their marching shows um, either for their summer season if they were in Europe or they were preparing a fall show and they just haven't been able to perform them. Football has been cancelled, summer events have been cancelled and so on. So the Global Initiative for Talented Students together with their partners in Perform America have put together a virtual opportunity for uh, for bands across the world to perform their 2020 shows. The way it works is that bands will perform in their own uh, rehearsal facility. They record themselves from a, a position up high and they'll do one continuous take of their show um, from that from that position. And they can then submit that for um, feedback and for adjudication from some of the top uh, marching arts professionals in the world. Uh, Registration for this is open now and you can head over to giftsmovement.org that's gifts g-i-f-t-s giftsmovement.org and you can find all of the information there. It's a fantastic opportunity for anybody that would like to take part. And now over to my interview with Mike Scott, CEO of the Blue Coats Drum and Bugle Corps. So Mike, thank you so much for joining me in the Global Band Room. Uh, now we've recently talked for the upcoming documentary, Bandemic, uh, and we covered a lot of uh, issues surrounding 2020. And we'll cover some of that today, but I just wanted to welcome you here, um, first of all, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Keith. It's great to talk again. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. And, and, and like all of the interviews that I do for Bandemic or Finding Drum Corps, I, I end up having these amazing conversations afterwards. And I'm, I'm like, man, I wish I just had recorded that, you know. Um, so I'm glad to just have the next 40 odd minutes or so just to kind of talk about you and Blue Coats and, and, and your career and, uh, and, and, and everything that you're up to right now at the moment. So, yeah. Mike, where, where did it all start for you? Um. Well, for me, you know, it started where it starts for a lot of kids in the U.S. and that's um, high school band. I suppose if you zoom even farther out, you know, it started for me when I you know, took private piano lessons as a very young kid. But when I really, you know, fell in love with with band was, you know, in the high school band program. Um, I uh, I was a piano student, but I didn't really want to play in the front ensemble, so several months before band camp sort of started my freshman year, I took uh, some snare drum lessons from private snare drum lessons with um, actually the drum line instructor for the high school I went to. And I was one of those kids that the minute I went to band camp, my first year, I just fell in love and uh, wanted to dive in as far as I could. So I fell in love. And then of course, shortly after that, 
um, like many kids that uh, do high school band, uh, particularly in like a core style or competitive style high school band, I then fell in love with drum corps and just could not stop watching drum corps on the VHS tape <laughs> that my, you know, drum line instructor would pop in the, the VHS player in the band room. Um, and so what age were you, what, what age were you when you started then? Because I know there's different starting points for, for people uh, sure. all over the world, but was it like middle school or did you stay, start later well, than middle school? No, I guess I did start, um, my middle school, grade school program, I went to a small private school. So there wasn't, um, there wasn't a great band program. And it wasn't until years later when I was studying for a music education degree that I really realized how um, sort of... Uh, middling and small my uh, band experience was when I first started um, right but you know th- yes the classic uh, I'm, I'm not sure how uh, prevalent it is in in Europe but the classic like small little bell kit that comes with a snare drum practice pad that you can rent from like your local music <laughs> yeah. store. that's where I started right a little bit yeah that's I, I drove into town today to pick up a load of practice pads for for, for new drummers uh, so it's exactly the same exactly. Uh, practice pads okay. and yeah. and sticks yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know I started there but I didn't have a lot of great instruction to start and then I got some pretty solid instruction my freshman year of, of high school so that would have been you know that what is that 14 15 somewhere around there um, that I really you know dove in at the high school level and I just happened to go to um, a small private school, but it had a marching band that was very rooted in the drum corps sort of style and tradition. So uh, I definitely fell in love there. So fast forward, I guess, uh, so I don't bore everyone with my high, with my high school years. But I, um, you know, I ended up going to college at Miami University, which is in Ohio. Don't let anyone get confused. Uh, and uh, you know, continued to have a love of drum corps there, and sort of met a lot of friends who. March drum corps uh, my freshman and sophomore year and I, I was really into the idea that I could march drum corps um, and I actually had a lot of trouble making a drum corps um, in fact I always tell students this especially if I ever have to uh, cut a student from the blue coats that I was actually cut from every single drum corps I ever auditioned for I never once wow. had an audition for a drum corps um, I just happened to march blue coats by happenstance um, it was my age out year and the blue coats had an open uh, conducting position. And at the time I was in a different performing ensemble called rhythm X, which participates in the WGI circuit. Um, and so I had some connections and some people that knew me that were both at rhythm X and at blue coats, and they must've put in a good word, uh, because Dave Glasgow, the director at the time, and actually my immediate predecessor, he, mm-hmm. uh, he emailed me after I sent a, vi- a video in and he said, yeah, sure, you can come on March. So I quit my summer job and drove straight <laughs> to spring training um, and didn't know hardly anyone. And I marched one and only one season of drum corps at the Blue Cubs. That's amazing. And, you know, I've, I've heard so many stories about that and not to retrace too many of the finding drum corps steps here for the global band room. But um, I talked to um, uh, Mark Nichols, uh, uh, brass oh, caption head yeah. with, with uh, yeah. Mark was and, on uh, at Bluecoats when I marched. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. Well, he has a very similar story about he how he, he how he marched. Um, he only ever marched one season. He was uh, he found himself in it by accident. Um, <laughs> got a bus out to to California. Had no money on him and uh, just found himself trying to play ping pong uh, between two dots <laughs> halfway through a season, and that was that was his experience. I love that idea that you know, and it's a great lesson for for people outside of drum corps too. 
that, you know, there's many routes into whatever career it is that you're looking to to get into. I know we all we all see that that primary route that you know you finish high school, you do your exams, you get into college, and you get a job. But there's so many routes into in, in, in that we find in life. And I suppose when you're in your thirties or forties or I suppose much older, um, it's easy to look back and see those routes. But but when you're when you're a teenager, you you normally only see one route. So it's great that you're there, kind of telling all of the you know perspective uh blue coats that you, you didn't pass an audition <laughs> yeah right well i'm glad you mentioned that because um, it's that's very true for my career path as well um hmm. when i i went to school uh for music education so i have a, a bachelor's degree in music uh percussion music education um and i remember feeling a whole lot of angst as i was going through that program especially as i was nearing uh, the end of the program, uh, you know, in the U.S., in order to earn a degree in music education, you have to complete uh, an entire semester of student teaching. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, man, I'm getting this music ed degree, but like the only option is to become a band director uh, or a general music teacher. Those are like the only two options, and that that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I guess I didn't know why. And I guess it was a little frustrating for me to kind of come to the end of my college career and be like, oh, this is the only option that I have. Not that being a band director isn't uh, an incredible career. I mean, I am constantly in awe of, you know, curricular band directors and just how much they accomplish and the amazing amount of work they do way above and beyond what people think is expected of them. But it just didn't feel right for me at the time uh, that I was ending my college career. And that was frustrating um, because I, it had never been told to me what my options were outside of that. It's almost as if no one knew there were any other options. And that was very frustrating. Um, so I'm glad that I landed where I did, but it wasn't until I you know, got a few years into post-college work and started to kind of examine my options and actually start to see what avenues exist in finding a career that really fits me, you know, that really fits someone's personality. And I think that sometimes those first years out of college, I wish more people were told like, hey, you've got a couple years to explore these avenues, to take a look at these things, to find something that really suits you, whether that's in the classroom or whether that's out of the classroom or whether that's freelance or whether that's in design versus pedagogy. You know, there, there's a couple of years to kind of figure that out. And I wish more people were told, hey, you've got a little freedom here. Don't worry about it. Like the decisions <laughs> you make aren't, aren't your final decisions. I, I'm still trying to figure it out, Mike, yeah, you know? Right. Well, you're the perfect example, Keith. You know, here you are doing this as a career, you know, and how incredible that is. And who, no, no one told you that, right? No one said, hey, Keith, you could have a, you know, series of podcasts with a worldwide reach that's about bands. No one told you that. Well, you, listen, you could have told me that in February and I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, but it's very true, you know. I mean, I've, I've gone through certain, like, various stages of being, a, you know, a, a, a professional clarinet player with the military into being a, a professional band director, into being a tour operator, and now, now lately, a, a podcaster. Um, you know, you just don't know what's, what's around the corner for you. And um, I think it's just so important that, you know, if there's anyone in their in their 20s listening to this podcast, I remember being in my 20s, too, and thinking by the time I'm 30, I'm going to have it all figured out and I'm going to know exactly what my career is going to be. And uh, it's just it's just not the way it happens. And it seems like that's been the case for you. I mean, 
being the professional full-time director uh, or CEO of a of a drum corps you know that's that's not something you can really plan for I'm sure like how did that happen how did what was the path from from college where you're not sure that you want to be a band director into all of a sudden find yourself being CEO of one of the top drum corps in the world that's definitely the question I get most from our age out class um, of course for 20 20 year old um 20 somethings so for me uh it was a lot of being in the right place at the right time it was a lot of um you know trying to get gigs desperately and taking gigs at any opportunity that i had to do work and to prove myself and to get to kind of scratch my own itch a little bit um so i marched like i said i marched the blue coats um in 2011 that was my rookout season and at the same time i was marching rhythm x um so I would have aged out of Rhythmex in 2012. I marched there that year, um, but I was in the front ensemble and I had a lot of time in the position that I was given. I had a lot of time to work on other things while I was at Rhythmex. So I did my best sort of to kind of, um, you know, work around the house, so to speak. Uh, you know, I, I improved something every chance I had. I, you know, worked a little bit on the props and the production. I worked a little bit on the logistics and how we moved things around. I worked a little bit on making sure everything was spray painted black, <laughs> you know, all the, like, <laughs> and I did a lot of that um, kind of, like I said, quote unquote, around the house. Um, and I really enjoyed that work a lot. And so when I aged out of Rhythm X and went and started my career, I actually moved back home um, to Toledo, Ohio. And I was working at a small private school as the director of instrumental music and general music. Um, you know, I, I taught music theory and AP music theory, and I, you know, conducted a couple small ensembles and just did that work. Um, but then nights and weekends, I spent all of my time working uh, on Rhythm X, pouring myself into Rhythm X. I, I started as a contractor there and I was just doing, you know, operations work. So many people get into that, you know, at drum corps and, and indoor groups and all sorts of stuff. And I just, I really loved that because unlike in my classroom job, if I wanted to do something that was outside of the resources that I already had, I had to go to someone and say, Hey, can I do this? And I, and I, chances are I got to know. Whereas at Rhythm X, my job was if I wanted to do something and it cost money, I just had to figure out how to get the money to do it. I just had to, you know, raise the money or redirect funds or, or, you know, do something creative in order to make it happen. And I could just do it. You know, the sky was the limit, uh, of course, within the limited resources of an organization of Rhythm X's size. Um, and I really, I loved that. It was so much more thrilling. So uh, I wanted to, you know, that of course has a limited season and I wanted to kind of explore, okay, well, can I continue to fill out my, my career, my job, so to speak, with work like this? So I just scoured every drum corps website that I could find looking for people that had open administrative or operation positions. And um, I was a little frustrated because at the time it didn't seem like a lot of people did and you kind of had to know someone. And um, actually I, I was offered an internship at, at Blue Coats, but um, I didn't want it because I wanted to get a job somewhere. I wanted to go. <laughs> it wasn't money. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's the money thing and there's also the, there's something that you know, I didn't, you know, I wanted to, have the role, have a title, be given a certain um, kind of uh, zone that was mine that I could kind of do what yeah. I wanted. I was kind of chasing that high a little bit, right? And uh, I actually was hired by the cadets organization 
Um, and I was, oh my gosh, that's incredible. You know, I had March Bluecoats, which was, you know, we, it's a top six core. And within that decade, it kind of had begun its, its, um, you know, kind of critical acclaim as an organization, but the cadets, I mean, that's a, you know, that organization was the longest operating world-class drum corps and they wore like cadet uniforms and oh my gosh, how much pedigree comes from that. So I was pumped to work there. Um, and I got that job and it was probably the worst summer of my entire life. Um, it was tough. It was hard. I got just absolutely laid out by how difficult it was. Um, for a number of reasons, I was brand new. Um, I, you know, the culture that, uh, was at the cadets at the time and I didn't really mesh, um, Mm. you know, just all sorts of things. It was just tough. Uh, and I actually decided on finals night, uh, and that, that season, I think that was, that would have been 2013. The cadets either came second or third. How crazy that I don't remember what, oh. what we came in. Um, that, yeah. that was but we definitely got a medal and, you know, I was really proud of that. That was so great. But, um, I decided that night that I just couldn't work there anymore. Um, and it's funny looking back, like Denise Bonfiglio, the current, uh, director of the cadets, you know, her and I are great friends and, you know, uh, we enjoy, I enjoy such a great friendship with the cadets organization. Uh, but it's of course, literally and figuratively a different organization than it was when right. I worked there. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that's funny looking back, but you know, that night I said, no, I, I can't work here anymore. And so I resigned my position. Um, and then I went immediately. And so did you resign your position knowing that, um, you know, you wanted to stay within drum corps at that stage. Like, was that still at, at the front of your mind, or were you were you thinking you were resigning and thinking that maybe I'm I'm looking elsewhere? I think I resigned my. I think I resigned my position, wanting to stay in drum corps, but knowing that it could not be under these circumstances. You know that right. I was going to find my way making this career. It was going to have to look different. Um, but I didn't know what different was. And I guess I was kind of okay with the fact that that meant that maybe meant that this wasn't for me, that that was something I had. Mm-hmm. To um, but it's funny that you asked that because I immediately went to the bar <laughs> across the street and anyone who's ever been to the core international world championships knows that um, the bar across the street is called Basie's. It's kind of like the, the dive bar hang. Uh, if you're at any event at Lucas oil for band. And I ran into Dave Glasgow who had become a friend of mine. Uh, you know, he was the director of the blue coats and uh, he told me, uh, he said, what are you doing at the bar? And I said, well, I, you know, I don't think the cadets is really for me. And he said, well, you should come work at Blue Coats. So I was without a job for, you know, a half hour or so. Um, and uh, they, they hired me. That <laughs> uh, you know what? The amount of musicians that I imagine uh, or people working within the music industry that have got hired at the bar after a gig. <laughs> Uh, I, I'd imagine is pretty high, um, but that's that's a that's an amazing uh, a turnaround for for someone. So that so that existential crisis lasted about thirty minutes, is what you're saying? It did. It lasted about thirty minutes, and that began <laughs> the the career that I you know have now at Bluecoats. Of course, you know not in the role of CEO. I started as a tour manager and operator, you know, on a contract basis, and then I was offered a full time work. Where in the summertime I would handle you know operations, uh, and then in the quote unquote off season I would work on development projects, um, you know fundraising or program development things like that. Mm. Um, and uh, then I guess two years ago now it's weird with the canceled season time kind of stopped. But uh, yeah, yeah, do I, we count this as a season when we're yeah, talking backwards? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's tough, but it, yeah, it would have been the um, it would have been. 
I would have officially taken the role in September uh, 2018. So the 2019 season, uh, I would have officially taken this role, but that was after a year long transition. We actually worked for one entire year uh, transitioning from uh, the previous uh, executive setup to the one that we have now where Genevieve Geisler, who's my incredible colleague, became the CFO and COO and I became the CEO of the organization. That's a that's a great it's a great journey and, and it really is a, a brilliant um, example as we said earlier on of to, to younger people to say look lots of directions that we can that we can take to, to get to where we're going and you just don't know what's around the corner when you go to that that bar after the gig you know um, listen I, I do want to talk uh, talk a little bit about the the blue coats then as well as a, as a drum corps obviously you came from the cadets and and, and that was a as you mentioned, a, a very different culture at the time. Uh, but the Blue Coats, um, for anyone that really doesn't know drum corps too well, um, and I suppose for anyone that doesn't know my story within kind of finding the activity myself, when I was introduced to the activity, uh, I wasn't introduced to it in the traditional way of being brought to a show. You know, I was I was part of a training camp here in Ireland. And um, when I finished that camp, I was fascinated with how we had been teaching the kids uh, over the weekend. So I went home and I, I Googled drum corps and that was in January, 2015. So the, the, the most recent YouTube videos were from the 2014 season. And mm. so I was seeing tilt and I was seeing, um, just this wild show. I was coming from a military marching background here in Ireland and, um, just the, the movement together with the, 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 um, the, the bends, the electronic bends and the music and so on was just just fascinating. And and actually, it really hooked me. I mean, I had already been kind of hooked from the weekend. I, I, I loved the way that we had been teaching the kids that weekend. Um, but seeing seeing that show really hooked me. And and so the, the question that I'm getting at is that Blue Coats are really, um, since then, one of the most innovative performing ensembles that that I know of um, every year doing something incredibly new and different but at the same time being entertaining and so no matter whether you come from a concert band world or you know traditional marching band world innovating be, being innovative and being entertaining are very difficult to 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 to, to marry but the blue coats seem to manage it every year how do the blue coats manage to put together shows that are both on the cutting edge and just audiences fall in love with? Well, you might be disappointed to hear this answer, but if I could, <laughs> if I could answer that, I would uh, be a much smarter man. It's, it's, it's a lot about at its core, or at least from my perspective and, and what my kind of ultimate job is when it comes to this, when it comes to, the Blue Coats organization creating production is people. Um, it's that it's people oriented, both from the collection and gathering of our creative team and assembling that team, but also the way that that team thinks about the production. Um, it's always people first. You know, they're scratching their own itch. Um, collectively, you know, each and, and each person on the team is kind of uh, given the opportunity to scratch their own personal itch. You know, okay, last year we started the toy with this, but I would love to see us explore that further. Um, 
you know, and then kind of taking that same idea collectively, but then also designing a show not to accomplish certain technical goals, not to accomplish certain adjudicative goals, not to accomplish, you know, those things that might be on paper, but instead creating a show that first and foremost, they love, second, our performers and staff love, and therefore third, kind of automatically, um, audiences will, will love. Um, so it's a very people oriented design process. And I say that like I have a certain uh, authority or knowledge, but really I don't at all. I just had the <laughs> pleasure of watching our team do that and decide that on their own. And it comes from, um, you know, an immense, the immense leadership of Dave Glasgow, who came before me, um, kind of having that vision and bringing together people who share that vision, um, and, you know, first and foremost, in, within that vision, our artistic director, John Vanderkoff, you know, he's a Tony and Emmy award winning creator. And, you know, he absolutely leads that vision and is most definitely a people first kind of creator and artist. And it just kind of fills the entire team. And that's that's how it starts. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a great example to anyone within the, the band world. And, you know, no matter you know, whether you have a small little band in the West of Ireland, like I do, um, or whether you're, you know, a big college band in the US or anywhere else in the world, um, you know, it is possible to to innovate and to keep the audience with you too at the same time. And it, it just feels to me that a lot of directors and managers sometimes make the decision that they're going to be one or the other um, because they don't see a way of maybe... Um, you know, uh, combining the two. And I think, you know, as just as you say, if you put the right people in place um, and you have good leadership, it's possible to make the design choices um, or the programming choices to do both. Um, you know, and Blue Coats are a great example of that. Um, the Beatles show from uh, 20, uh, 2019, I almost forgot what year we were in myself there, um, was a really good example of that. Can you tell me a little bit about that show? And and for anyone out there that is coming from a concert band world, you might have tuned out by now anyway. <laughs> but if you haven't and you're interested in finding out about drum corps, can I recommend going and watching some of this Blue Coats show from last year based all around the Beatles uh, music, because it is wonderful to watch. It is just one of the most enjoyable shows and one of the most enjoyable pieces of entertainment. Can you tell me about the decisions around uh, designing and putting together a show based around the Beatles? Yeah. Um, from the very beginning, one thing that I really enjoyed about the creative process of that show was hearing the designers sort of... Um, discuss the lens that they were going to take. And that was that this was a blue coats show through the lens of the Beatles. Um, and that really just kind of sent my imagination, you know, soaring. And you'll see throughout that show moments that are quintessentially blue coats moments kind of portrayed through this, you know, lens of the amazing imagery and ideology of the Beatles, you know, as a, as a rock band, um, you know, there's the, there's the moment of the, the trumpets up in the front ensemble, um, you know, playing uh, this like Hockett um, multi uh, multi-rhythmic idea um, kind of in a looping format. And that's kind of, that's borrowed almost immediately or almost directly from 2015 in kinetic noise. Mm you know, and there's, 
there's these intense visual moments that you can recall from 2015 and 2014 and especially 2016, um, you know, in the manipulation of, of the set and our bodies. And um, there's just, well, I mean, the, you know, the ballad certainly borrows from many iconic ballad moments that Doug Grower has, you know, has written. Um, and that was really cool because it was an opportunity for us to be ourselves, but kind of with a mask on, you know, but underneath kind of fundamentally ourselves. And I really enjoyed that. Um, and you talked about how it's difficult to sometimes balance accessibility and entertainment with technical achievement and complexity. And so uh, this was, you know, just another way for us to continue to kind of explore some of those moments that we love that are certainly complex um, and the Beatles kind of embody that too, right? I mean, the Beatles are a rock band, you know, it's, totally. you know, four, four music with a drum set behind them. And they came over here with just, you know, in such plain clothes, right? Like we were so used to seeing them, uh, during the, you know, the British invasion as, as we call it here, um, uh, you know, in gray suits and ties, but then as mm. you, the Beatles kind of continue their journey, we see this immense complexity in their, you know, as they enter, um, you know, sort of their psychedelic period, or as they talk about, you know, sort of the human interest of their explorations, you know, all of a sudden you see this immense complexity below that. And that was kind of cool too, for us to continue to kind of share in that mirroring of something that's accessible, entertaining, but also something that has a high level of intellect. And speaking of clothes, um, uh, you know, and for again to to plug my upcoming Bandemic podcast, <laughs> talking about twenty twenty in the world of bands, um, I recently spoke to Jeff Elliott with the with Stanbury Uniforms, oh, yeah. and they did an amazing job. If you're trying to again, if you haven't seen that show, one of the standout features of the show is the uniform. I mean, it is the most wonderful thing to see on a, on, on a field. Um, these kids marching in these Beatles style uniforms, but they, they also, they're, they are blue coats. It's just an amazing job. One of my favorite, uh, uniforms from pre- from recent years. I'm always, always shocked at what Greg Lagola, our costume designer and Stanbury are able to accomplish together. Um, right. Greg is just an absolute genius and is able to take such, um, you know, such kind of uh, general ideas about the concept of a show and put them into such minute details in a costume that on, you know, at its surface, it's like, Oh wow, those are beautiful. And then you dive in and you realize just, you know, the cut of the pants was changed to kind of reflect the sixties. And we used, you know, certain lapel designs and, and cuts in the, in the jacket to really embody sort of this British invasion idea and their suits, which is this very straightforward introduction to the Beatles, but yet they're beautiful and kind of cosmic and psychedelic in their pattern, which kind of alludes to the later Beatles period, but then they're blue <laughs> and we're the, blue nice. coats, you know, and that was, you know, people really, um, People really sometimes get frustrated with us because since we in 2016, when we abandoned, you know, the kind of uh, rigid drum corps marching band mm. uniform idea, we haven't we hadn't worn blue blue coats since then. We're called the blue coats. So here we came in this very ironic, very quintessentially um, almost <laughs> sarcastic blue coats fashion and said, OK, well, here's you wanted blue coats. Here they are. Um, <laughs> that was so cool, too. 
Oh no, it's it's amazing, and 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 the the with the color guard being in this yellow and orange look too, uh, it just looked beautiful against the green field too. You know, it just it looked a stunning stunning show. And so again, if you if you if you haven't if you're not a drum corps fan and you're interested to find out a little bit more about the activity, that's definitely probably that and Babylon with Santa Clara Vanguard from 2018. Um, probably the two shows I'd recommend um, that you go and watch. Designed by Greg Lagola, by the way. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, again, another amazing looking uniform. Uh, now, look, if you're into your traditional military uniforms, and I am, um, then maybe they're not for you. Um, but I think they're so cool looking. I, I think they're great. Um, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about what blue coats are up to ne- now uh, as well, and. Um, a lot of people that listen to the the podcast have been taking part in various different virtual projects throughout the year, from the Ireland's Call project that we ran here to the Lone Star Wind Orchestra's um, River Shannon project and Rick Cook's project up in Southern New Hampshire University then as well. Um, Drum Corps is in a similar position this year um, and have had to uh, adapt new skills and and uh, I suppose look for new opportunities to bring people into the activity given that there hasn't been a season. Um, Blue Coats ran a very successful Blue Coats in the in the Cloud uh, program this year and you can find out more about that on the uh, Finding Drum Corps podcast and Bandemic podcast. Uh, but I want to talk about what you're doing now. Um, you just launched... Blue Coats just launched the Blue Coats School of the Arts recently, um, and uh, it looks like an absolutely fascinating new project uh, for the Blue Coats, and something that I think is going to be at the heart of your uh, existence um, for certainly the next year, but maybe even beyond that. Can you tell me a little bit about this new program? Yeah, of course. So, one of the questions that we grappled with when all of our programming was canceled, that's the drum corps, but also all the things that the Blue Coats organization does that aren't the drum corps, you know, in-person learning events and, you know, all sorts of stuff, audition experience camps, um, was how can we continue to provide and serve our mission as an organization, as a nonprofit organization, uh, without all these in-person programming that we normally have? Um, and that also means how can we continue to highlight and elevate the incredible team that we have that, um, you know, is kind of facing the same thing. So Blue Coats in the Cloud, like you mentioned, was sort of our first pass at that. It was a way for us to continue to provide the Blue Coats experience that we promised to our drum corps kids throughout the summer. Um, but Blue Coats School of the Arts is the next step. Uh, it's an online school that's built by Blue Coats that takes the incredible educational resources, artistic leadership, pedagogical knowledge that we have as an institution, and it puts it online so that anyone with an internet connection can access it. Um, It was a huge project. It took us many, many months to build. We thought maybe we could have it out there by June, but it was several months later that we were actually able to get it launched. Um, And it's been a huge labor of love, and uh, we're really excited about it. We actually just had our first live event uh, this past weekend, uh, at the time of us taping this, um, which was great. We had you know more than 50 students attend a percussion institute where uh, we had some incredible percussion educators online, and uh, you know we do breakout rooms based on ability level and instrument. And the goal is to try to make these really substantive learning events and learning opportunities, even though it's online. Um, another way we're doing that is through on-demand learning. You know, you can register for a course and take it at your own pace. It's all pre-recorded, And we're even working on one-on-one uh, private lessons. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard from a lot of people that have started to figure this out recently. I think in you know, there's been a uh, a, a sort of a, a curve, I think, this year of 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 uh, learning for everyone. And I think at the beginning, people found it difficult, and then we went through a phase of saying, "Oh, I think we've got this figured out." And then we found more problems and more barriers, and maybe we got less uh, positive, enthusiastic about it for a while. But in recent months, I've found that we've we've music educators, band directors, the community generally has uh, started getting into their stride with a lot of this and figuring out what really does work. And in some cases, um, finding out what works better, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I've been fascinated to hear some of the, the visual um, drill uh, techniques that are working online now where kids are able to get just that you know, real finesse that that very close attention that they wouldn't be able to get when there's 150 of them on a on a field necessarily. But when it's one by one on a video, they're able to get really good feedback. Um, have you found that with the blue coats in designing this, based on the the, I suppose the experience of the blue coats in the cloud has has the blue coats school of art of the arts um, sort of adapted new techniques that you think work really well in this sort of environment. Yeah, well, we're certainly trying um, a lot of different things right now. When we did Blue Coats in the Cloud, you know, that was very much a whole bunch of people in one uh, video conference, you know, and I think you do learn in that environment just how easy it is to become disengaged. And, you know, Zoom fatigue is certainly a real thing, you know, just staring at your screen. And right. we have been thinking about, you know, well, how can we make these more meaningful educational interactions, but also more effective, you know, educational opportunities for the student. Um, so on the one hand, you know, when we host live events, we're, we're using an amazing technology platform that allows you to sort of attend and move through the event. So, you know, it might start with a keynote presentation that, you know, you show up to the keynote, but when that's over, you can choose from the next room, you know, the next room or the next session you want to go to, similar to attending a camp or a conference. So we tried this out, you know, for the first time with the Percussion Institute with an immense amount of success. You know, we had an incredible keynote speaker, Ralph Hardiman, who's in just about every percussion hall of fame you can find in the in the world. Um, and he was incredibly engaging. And when we were done, we said, okay, we're gonna take a break. And then you're gonna choose the next room you wanna go to. So you can pick your instructor or your ability level or the instrument you wanted to learn more about. And you could go to that next room after a break. Um, and it really helps make it, you know, seem less, uh, you know, just less blah, less like you're just in one room. It also means that you go from sort of a more general learning environment where it's everybody all together with one presenter and you end up uh, in a small environment with just a few students where the instructor can say, you know, hey, Joe, I saw you, you know, overturning your left wrist, you know, make sure you, you know, or, you know, underturning your left wrist, make sure you're using more wrist or, hey, Bob, make sure you have more control there. Um, you know, Sally, it seems like maybe your, your heights are a little too high here, control, you know, your stick height. Um, and so you actually do have that sort of one-on-one um, -on -one reciprocity that you're used to in a learning environment. And the other, the other way that we're thinking about this is outside of the live events, um, the same goes for on-demand learning. You know, one of the difficulties of Zoom is that it's sort of happening um, outside of your control. You know, it's like your computer is just going and it's happening and you can't, uh, you can't get up and go to the bathroom. You can't stop and really process something. You can't walk up to the presenter afterwards and ask some questions in private. So the, 
on-demand learning does allow you to sort of go at your own pace and rewatch things and skip around. Oh, I already know about that. I'm going to skip to the next lesson, or I need to watch that lesson about five more times, or even I need to watch that slower or faster. Um, all of those things are possible with the on-demand learning that we are creating uh, at School of the Arts. So, you know, those are two different approaches. And then, of course, the third approach is, you know, it's a time-honored uh, and time-tested method of learning, and that's private instruction. And we're trying to figure out uh, right now, instead of just the classic, I'm going to say I need a private instructor, and someone says, hey, here's a Skype link, we want to make it a little bit more seamless where you, you know, you can choose the time that you're available. We'll pair you with an instructor of your instrument at a time that they're available. We'll securely handle payment and we'll securely send both of you a video conferencing link. Neither of you have to worry about it. You just both show up to the lesson. It removes a lot of that friction and makes it seem way more like attending a real private lesson. Um, and so that's, you know, we have the technology built for that and we're just finalizing some of the, um, uh, some of the scheduling and, and um, pricing structure and things like that for, for the one-on-one. -on -one. But we're taking this three-prong approach so that we can make sure that every type of student and every type of learning, um, you know, consideration is, is covered as best we can um, and really aiming to make School of the Arts a long-term investment in, in our educational programming. And so this is something that, that uh, international students can take part in too, Mike, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone can go to bluecoats.school. Um, right now, a challenge is that, you know, everything is only offered in English. Um, we are making some serious investments in ensuring that every piece of content at Blue Coat School of the Arts is live captioned um, or captioned in general. So all of the on-demand learning will have uh, closed captioning and all of the uh, live events will be live captioned. Um, so that certainly helps. Of course, it helps primarily students that might be hard of hearing. But um, if you're like me and your, uh, you know, your relationship with a foreign language is perhaps easier read than heard, that certainly would help a student that might not have conversational English but could, you know, read the captions. And we're working on uh, figuring out if, you know, School of the Arts, as it continues to grow, if maybe we can figure out how to caption um, certainly the on-demand work, but maybe even eventually the live coursework in other languages. Um, you know, next on our list would probably be Japanese, just because there are already so many students that attend Blue Coats educational events uh, that are from Japan. That's sort of a logical next step for us. Well, how can people um, sign up to something like this, and and how can people find out more about the Blue Coats generally as well, um, if they've if they've uh suddenly got an itch to find out about one of the, the top drum cores out there. Sure. Well, Bluecoats School of the Arts, you can find it at bluecoats.school. Um, and I would encourage you to check out the events. You can, you know, right there when you get to the homepage, you can click on find an event. Uh, we've got a couple of events coming up here in the month of October, a brass institute. That's a one day, one afternoon learning event. Um, on a Saturday and then a visual institute as well. But we have two flagship events coming up. Um, one in November uh, and one in December. And those are two-day learning events that we're really putting a ton of effort into making them, um, like I said, our flagship learning events. Um, we're going to have some incredible guest lecturers and instructors. Um, Jens Lindemann, who's perhaps you know 
the most accomplished trumpet player alive today. Um, absolutely incredible, a professor in California. Um, Jacob Collier, a four-time Grammy award-winning um, musician and YouTube star, will be the, the uh, keynote lecturer at the December event. So we're assembling an incredible team of guest instructors that are um, you know, going to be just complete rock stars, plus our incredible team of educators and designers uh, will all be assembling for those four days of learning. Um, and I think they're going to be something, um, something pretty incredible. And I'm excited about that. Oh, it sounds absolutely amazing. I definitely uh, want to try and get along to some of it myself too. Um, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Um, not just for this once, but uh, yeah, for for my my second interview with you. And again, third plug of the of the of the interview. Uh, if you want to hear more from Mike and about the Blue Coats twenty twenty season and how they worked. Uh, to uh, put together this blue coats in the cloud and uh, all the various challenges, but but some of the solutions that they found too, you'll be able to hear all about that in the final episode of the Finding Drum Corps podcast, but also in the upcoming Bandemic podcast too. Mike, thank you for joining me. Hey Keith, thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. So a big thank you to Mike for joining me this week. You can find all of the links to the Blue Coats projects over on the website www.globalbandroom.com and you'll find show notes for this episode all of the previous episodes and all of the links to the various documentaries and shows that we're producing too i'll be back next week talking to more great guests from around the band world so head over to your favorite podcast catcher app and make sure that you subscribe and in the meantime you can stay up to date with me on facebook and instagram at the global band room and until next time stay safe and I'll see you back in the band room.